Awesome. <laughs> awesome. How many people want to give it up for Judah and Levi too? Come on, Judah. Good job, buddy. Good job. That was great. So Second City, thank you so much for your generosity um, over the course of the Christmas holidays. Um, again, if you were uh, with us last week, uh, uh, Greg was able to report about the clothing drive, and we were able to participate in that here in the city. And then internationally with the Dominican Republic, we were able to contribute to that. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Lopez, for organizing it. Thank you, Second City, for uh, contributing towards that. So God bless you, and let's give the Lord a hand, please. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, guys, it's good to see you today, and it is um, freezing, and it is, <laughs> it is good. So it's good to be in the house of the Lord where you can be warm. Um, there are practical benefits to serving God. Um, I think that, um, you know, along with what we've been going through this uh, current uh, year and beginning the year together, it is uh, all types of good things coming out. Um, we have the uh, Oscar nominees. Anybody excited about the Oscars coming up? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I was disappointed not to see any Marvel movies represented, you know, in that list, but that's fine, you know, and I feel like, you know, as far as the weather is concerned, you know, I mean, we had a period of time where it was sort of like Star Wars, where everything was getting started, it was nice and warm and everything, everybody enjoyed that warm period of time here in Chicago, and I feel like this period of time is like the Empire Strikes Back, you know, I mean, where it like just hits you, it's like you thought I was gone, but I'm here, you know, and so anyway, everybody brace yourself, get into community, you know, uh, body warmth does keep you warm, and so um, let's keep that holy too, but the thing is, is that we want to, we want to, um, just be a community and a fellowship, you know, that enjoys each other's company and also worships the Lord in his purposes together. So thanks for being here. It's good to have um, so many of you back from the Christmas holidays. Hope you had a great one. Happy New Year to you. And let's jump right in today. So today what we're doing is we are um, going through the third part of our series t- um, today, which is called The Church Awakens. And if you uh, were not with us in the previous weeks, what we've been doing as a church is having a time of consecration where we were humbling ourselves before God with fasting and prayer and asking God to move in power in the city, in and through our lives. And thank you for any of you that participated in that in any way. And um, for those of you who were praying, we just wanted to tell you that there are plentiful testimonies um, that uh, occurred throughout the week of even God's breakthrough in personal lives, as well as in the community. Uh, I was able to share even this uh, past week, another young man gave his life to the Lord. You know what I mean? Even as we were outreaching on this weekend, in the city, and that's what it's about, right? Jesus said, freely you were received, now freely give away to him in the gospel. And so we want to see God continue to do things like that day after day after day. Um, but as we do it, one of the things that I wanted to focus on today is that, um, as Cole was talking about, we can all have mountaintop experiences with God. When we humble ourselves before God, God meets us, and he revives us, he redirects us, and he refreshes us. But then the rest of the year comes that really tries to steal the very thing that God himself gave as a gift and try to implant in you. Has that ever been the cycle of anyone's life before, okay? You start off strong with New Year's resolutions. You start off strong, yummy, full of faith, saying this is going to be the year, right? That everything's different and everything changes and God is going to be preeminent in my life and the purposes of God are going to go forward. And then the year comes along and then it's sort of like things get piled on you day after day, week after week, and then you 
get more and more weighed down. You feel like Atlas, right? You're feeling like you're just trying to hold everything up, and then eventually the, the ambitions that you had begin to dissipate. But what we want to talk about today is how we actually stay in the mix, okay? Pastorally, how we stay in the mix, stay in the groove, so that God might not just begin a thing in us, but complete it to his glory in Christ Jesus, okay? So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness towards us today as we've been singing about. And Lord, we're asking that you would put a deposit in us by your word today that not only has us start strong in you, but keeps us running strong to greater and greater strength, greater and greater glory in your mighty son's name. And everybody said, amen. Okay, so we're starting today in Luke chapter 4, starting in verses 14 and 15. This is what uh, many people are familiar with right after uh, the temptation of Jesus Christ in the desert. Prior to his earthly ministry, Jesus lived 30 years in um, the nation of Israel, and he lived working um, a job as uh, a stonemason slash carpenter, you know what I mean? And he was working with his hands, he was making a living, he was earning a living, and he was pre- being prepared by the Lord for the, the, his father for the ministry that he had for him. And in his 30th year, that 30th year, God the Father called him out and said, hey, listen, now's the time that I have for you to show who you are to the world and begin this salvation process of redeeming humanity. So how he did that is he started by actually a time of fasting and prayer to prepare him for that ministry, went out into the desert, and it had a little showdown with the devil himself, where the devil was coming and tempting him, and he was saying all types of things, hey, listen, if you serve me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Hey, Jesus, if you're the son of God, can't you turn this bread into stone? Why don't you flex a little bit and prove who you are? All of these types of things. And Jesus continually replied with the word of God saying, hey, listen, God has already given me clear direction and insight as to how I'm to live. And this is going to be the standard that marks my life. So devil, back away from me. I'm standing on the word of God. And Jesus, through that time of fasting and prayer, through that time of standing on the word, it says, according to uh, Luke chapter 4, he returned in the power of the Spirit after fasting and prayer to Galilee, and a report about him went out through the all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So Jesus, the result of his fasting and prayer was that he was able to not only overcome the enemy who tried to tempt him, but he returned in power to the um, place that he was going to be ministering. And is that not what we all want, to be able to live in the power of the Holy Spirit? spirit, want to live in the power and the grace of God to advance in obedience to God and also the purposes of God because God himself by his spirit is on us, empowering us, strengthening us, and directing us. And so we as a church have been praying for you that the power of the Holy Spirit would be upon you in everything that you do, in all of your schoolwork, in all of your academic life, in all of your legal work, in all of your homemaking, in everything that you put your hand to, that the power of the Holy Spirit spirit would be upon you and you'd be able to walk in the things of God. Okay. But as we walk along, we start off strong. We have a vision of what God wants to do. And then Jesus made it very clear. You'll hear me repeat this again and again and again, that there are basically three things that try to come and choke the excitement or the faith that God's deposited inside of you, out of you. Jesus said that even when I've sown my word in you, there are three things that come to choke the life out of you, and they're these. He said, it's the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for pleasures, otherwise known as not bad things, but other things that come in and try to choke the word, making it unfruitful in your life. 
And how many people know that those three elements are uh, basically an opportunity that each of us have to abide in and to really ingest on a daily basis? And they are things that can get us on track if we're not aware of the enemy's schemes to utilize us, uh, to utilize them to do so. So what we want to see is that we want to be a people who are aware of what can keep us off track and therefore have a countermeasure, have a countermeasure to these things to actually be able to progress in the things of God. Just because it's Oscar season, I just wanted to visualize, um, um, sort of give you a visual of what this lulling to sleep looks like in our walk with God, okay? A visual always helps me in um, sort of cementing the picture and the images that God's giving me. And so all of you are familiar with this movie, and we want to um, <clears throat> um, celebrate it by looking at this sort of lulling to sleep that took place with the scarecrow, the tin man, the cowardly lion, Something and otherwise in the Wizard of Oz. With poison in it, but attractive to the eye and soothing to the smell. <laughs> Poppies. Poppies will put them to sleep. Sleep. Now they'll your hands and we'll pull you along. Oh, no, please. I have to rest for just a minute. Toto, where's Toto? Oh, you can't rest now. We're nearly there. <laughs> Don't cry. You'll rust yourself again. Cover the thick of it. Forty wigs wouldn't be bad. Don't you start at two. Oh, uh, we ought to try and carry Darcy. I don't think I could, but we could try. Len, yes. Oh, look at him. This is terrible. Here, Tin Man, help me. Oh. oh, this is terrible. Can't budge a ninja. This is the spell, this is. It's the Wicked Witch. What do we do? Help! Help! It's no use screaming at a time like this. Nobody will hear you. Help! Help! Yes, it is! Oh, maybe that'll help. Oh, but couldn't help. 
does help. Dorothy, you're waking up. Oh. 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 Unusual weather we're having, ain't it? <laughs> Look, game is he's gone. busted again. Oh, give me the oil can, quick. Here. Oh, 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 here. oh. He is rusty. Here. Here. Oh, oh. quick. Oh, oh. Curse it, curse it. Somebody always helps that girl. <laughs> but shoes are no shoes. I'm still brave enough to conquer her. And woe to those who try to stop me. Come on. Let's get out of here. Look, Emerald City is closer and prettier than ever. Out of the woods, you're out of the dark, you're out of the Okay, that's good enough. The poppies will start singing to us. Okay, so here, here we go. The whole point is, the whole point is, is that's how the picture of our life in God, is it not? We have a picture in front of us of the Emerald City, the promises of God and the purposes of God in front of us. We're on that track. We're going hard, meaning even the start of the church here in this city. We came hard and we came fast, right? To actually believe God, to preach, cease to people, one to Jesus, make disciples, raise up something that's going to be of service to the city to help transform it along with other churches. But over the course of time, those three things start to look pretty, right? The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire of other things come just like the poppies to lull us to sleep, right? To lull us to sleep so much so that we're like, oh, well, you know, the things that were important aren't that important anymore. We've been going a while and, you know, I'm actually kind of tired. I need to take a nap. But God sends the snow to Chicago to wake us up, (laughs) to wake us up. And and he doesn't send the snow. He actually has somebody crying out in prayer, in prayer. And then he begins to wake the people of God up again to his purposes and said, let's wake up church. Let's go again unto the things that I have for you in this city and in this nation, starting in your job, starting in your family, starting in the workplace, and let's make it towards the goal. So what are the things that lull us to sleep? Again, if we were to categorize those three things another way, you could say that number one, the first thing that lulls us to sleep are comforts. Everybody say comforts. Everybody in this generation and in the Western world is living for comfort. Is that not true? Right? And we're trying to find our little niche in society, our little corner of the market where we could be comfortable in the size of our home, the size of our paycheck, the like size of our family, the size of our dog. Um, you know, God bless my parents. My dog, their, their dog just passed, so God bless them. Okay, I, I know. Uh-huh. Okay, but the thing is, is that everybody's looking for a place of comfort, right? And over the course of time, if that's your only goal, then it will lull you to sleep in the purposes of God. Number two is just good old-fashioned practical discouragement discouragement. You try to attempt something great for God, it doesn't go the way you thought it would go, and then that discouragement wants you to throw things off so that you don't attempt it anymore. Anybody ever dealt with that? Of the three, I'm going to tell you, comfort's not mine. The, uh, the third one, which we'll talk about, isn't necessarily mine. The discouragement is mine. I have to battle it every single day. Anybody like me have to battle discouragement, and I want to sometimes just stay in my bed Stay in my bed, not get up in the morning and just like roll over and say, God, you've done enough. But God's like, wake up, arise from the dead, and I'll shine on you once again if you choose to believe me. I've not, rem- um, I've not changed, though your circumstances have. And if you cry out to me again, then I'll move on your behalf. And the third thing, obviously, is sin 
right? Sin tries to lull us to sleep. When we get into a cycle or a habit of sin, eventually we think that's just the way things are, but God chooses to wake us up. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about that very clearly when Paul's writing to the church there. In chapter 5, starting in verse 13, he says this, but when anything, when anything is exposed, anything in your life is exposed by light, it becomes visible. Why do we read our Bible every day? Because it's light to our souls, right? And in the midst of circumstances that can try to bring darkness and bring a lack of clarity to our everyday experience or the direction we're supposed to be heading, the Bible acts as light and exposes things. He says it becomes visible for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ himself will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine. Good command, right? He says, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. It's not just a one-time encounter. If anybody's ever talked about having a baptism in the Holy Spirit, it is not just a one-time encounter. It is being filled over and over and over again as you go to God and cry out to him saying, God, I need something fresh and new today. What I lived on yesterday was great, but God, I need you new and fresh today for today's challenges, insight and wisdom for today's circumstances, and to move forward in the purposes of God. He says, do this addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What is he talking about there? He's basically talking about you started a good race, but you need to continually reset your eyes on the prize. Reset your eyes on the prize. What do times of fasting and prayer do? They push a reset button for you. Why do you show up week after week at church to worship God and enjoy the fellowship of the people? It's to press a reset button in your focus before God and say, God, once again, you're preeminent in my life. Why do we go to community groups throughout the week? Why? It's because we need each other to encourage one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs saying, once again, this is the direction we're going in. Thank God for the scarecrow, right? Thank God when the cowardly lion was out, he was crying out, help, help. Anybody ever done that for your friends or family before? You didn't know what um, to do for them except to pray. And you didn't know what to pray except to cry out, help, help before God, right? And what did that good witch Gwendolyn do? She just started waving her wand and started to snow. God does the same for us, right? He says, I'll wake them up. I'll wake them up. You need each other. Do it together, and I'll see you meet the prize. Resetting our eyes on the prize. We need to get a biblical picture when we're resetting our minds of what our promised land looks like. For number one, our walk with Jesus. What does it look like when I'm resetting my life? I need to get a picture in my mind, an image of what does my walk with Jesus need to look like, right? Sort of like before I got married, I had to have something in my mind that gave me a picture of what a good marriage looked like, right? Some of us came from good marriages um, um, in our family line. Some of us did not. 
Either way, you need to have a picture in your mind of what it looks like. And that's why we even have Ephesians, right? It talks about husbands and wives, how husbands ought to lay down their lives for their wives and treat them, right? How wives ought to respect their husbands and honor them and um, like love them and serve them, right? And so all of a sudden, we get a picture in our mind, Christ in the church. How did Christ treat his bride? He said, that's how I'm to treat my bride. All of a sudden, you need to get a picture in your mind of your walk with Jesus. And then also, number two, your family life. What should your family life look like? So many of us are just reactionary nowadays. We don't build anything with our time. We don't build anything with our efforts. But God's saying, through my word, I'm going to give you a picture of what it can look like. Not so that you can compare yourself to another individual because your family will look different from another person's in the way you do things. However, there are certain principles that are going to be common through his word that bless all. Okay, number three, the results of your work life. What should my work life look like? How about this? Should I have boundaries in my work life? How many people can say amen to that? Should my, lo- should my work be my identity or should I have an identity in Christ that defines my work? Where do I get a picture of that? It's from his word. And then number four, what should my ministry or service to the Lord actually look like? What should it look like? I need a picture in my mind that will wake me up and have me running again towards the prize for which Christ laid hold of me. You need to sow daily, not just sometimes, not just once a year, not just once a month, but daily into that vision by changing your speech. How you talk about things will ultimately affect your actions, will they not? I'm just trying to give you practical things. What you say on a daily basis will affect what you do with your time with Jesus, what you do with your family life, what you do with your work life and your ministry or service to the Lord. If you're always talking about how hard it is to open the Bible, how hard it is to pray, how hard it is to spend time with your wife or children, then it will be hard for you. If you have a different confession out of your mouth about your work life or your academic life, how many people know this? God can bring joy there. God can bring joy to your academic life because even your studies are a service unto the Lord, right? You're doing it not for your parents, not for just a paycheck. You're doing it for him, And if you see it that way, then all of a sudden I take great joy in whatever I'm putting my hand to because God himself is pleased with the offering that I'm making towards him. And if I talk about it that way, it'll start to fill me that way. My perspective will begin to change. Sometimes when I'm on long drives, anybody like have to take long drives to visit family? Okay, long drives. I hate driving. It's almost... Well, I'll admit this. I almost killed my family before, like on the road, like nodding off. Anybody ever done that? And I have to talk. Okay, maybe you haven't. You're like, well, I'm not going to drive with him. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. That's why we have the CTA. But the point is, it's, that, it's like, like, listen, when I'm on long drives, part of what I have to do is talk to myself. Anybody have to talk to yourself? You're not crazy. At least we can talk, tell each other that. You're not crazy. You know what I mean? You're helping yourself stay awake, right? You're helping yourself have the right action and the right activity to stay on course. And how about this? To stay in your lane. To stay in your lane. Oh, Lord God Almighty, as you get in the wrong lane, you'll die. So many people have tried to steer off into the wrong lane, trying to be somebody or something that God's not called them to be. And because of that, they're killing themselves. He said, let me define you. Stay in your lane, and I'll give you the life abundant that I promised you. 
but you got to speak to yourself to do so. Or at least I do. You have to replace the old patterns with the new. Old patterns with the new. It's all about what you sow, right? It's all about what you sow. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. Paul made it plain to us. He says, don't be deceived. God is not what? Mocked. Okay, it's up there. Is it? No. Okay. Let's try it again. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he or she also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow, here we go again, weary. Weary, right? That's when we fall asleep, is it not? Let's not become weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. That's a promise, right? It's a promise he gives. If we do not give up, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. All right. Reaping and sowing, reaping and sowing. That's what he tells us to do. And he gives us a promise that if we don't give up, we will reap a harvest in every area of our life that he's given us a picture of his promises, right? Every area, every area of life. So what we're going to do now is actually help you with some maxims, okay? Some maxims that will actually help you break down how to sow and reap in your life, okay? Just little pithy sayings that you can have running through your mind that will help you to even reflect on one of my favorite psalms, which we're going to go through, that actually express these uh, maxims, which is called Psalm 16, okay? Anybody ever read Psalm 16 before? Anybody know what's in Psalm 16? Okay, you're about to. I love it, okay? And here we go with some maxims according to Psalm 16 that will help you stay on course, okay? How do you sow and reap? If I want to not just start in the power of the Spirit, but I want to continue in the power of the Spirit towards the goal, number one, what I need to do is, first little maxim, I need to slow down to stay sharp. I need to slow down to stay sharp. Life feels like a rat race sometimes, doesn't it? Anybody feel like you're just like continually on the move all the time, just going from one thing to the next to the next to the next to the next, you know? I feel like a lot of you I know are consultants in here and like have to be on the plane all the time, you know, just traveling from one city to another, you know, work to work to work to work to work. And it feels like you'd barely have time to breathe, much less think, you know what I mean, and actually do the things that you need to do. And what God's saying is that if you want to stay sharp, you need to slow down to stay sharp. Slow down enough to stay sharp before me, okay? Ecclesiastes 10, verse 10 says this, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. How many people got there at the end of the uh, year last year? Sort of like, listen, I feel dull, I feel blunt, you know what I mean? But I still have to show up at work and keep swinging away, <laughs> you know what I mean? I still have to show up in my relationships in the home and keep swinging away. And it's taking even more strength than I feel like I have because I'm running on fumes, and God's like, hey, listen, let me tell you something. When you get to that place, slow down and get with God. 
He will sharpen you so that by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the things that used to take you double or triple the time might actually be expedited and increased and that the relationship that you continually found yourself hitting a roadblock in, he'll break through with sharpness of the Holy Spirit because he himself is on you, with you, and giving you grace to advance. He said, but to do so, you need to slow down, get alone with him, get revived and refreshed, and then go back into the very same thing that you're responsible for. To get sharp, you need to slow down first. This is what he says in Psalm 16, starting in verse 1. He said, this is King David talking to the Lord. As we go through Psalm 16, this is the author, and then also the um, one he's speaking to is God. Okay, Psalm 16, verses 1 and 2, he says, preserve me, O God. Anybody had that prayer before? Okay, God, please, just preserve me. I don't want to die, okay? Preserve me, oh God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have, here's a big one, no good thing apart from you. That's huge. If anybody like, still uses a physical Bible, you need to highlight that circle at asterisk, whatever you need to do. You need to confess out of your mouth, God, I have no good thing outside of you. And everything that you try to replace God with is a substitute that will disappoint you. You have got to understand that. Everything is a replica that will disappoint And God is saying, if you get it in your heart and your mind that you have no good thing outside of him, then you'll slow down as you need to to remain connected to him so that everything that you put your hand to might be blessed because he's involved in it. We need to slow down to say, God, no good thing comes outside of you, so I'm not going to attempt anything without you. God, you're my alpha and my omega, the beginning and the end to everything. I love what Stormy O'Martian said, I don't know, or Martian, I don't know. But anyway, how many people know the Power of a Praying series? Anybody ever heard those books before? Power of a Praying Wife, Power of a Praying Husband, Power of a Praying Kid, Power of a Praying Dog. No, I'm just kidding, she didn't do that one yet. But the point is, she has all these series, and one of the things that she says is like anything that you don't pray about, you leave to chance. Anything you don't pray about, you leave to chance. And how many people want to live that way? Not me. I want to say, God, help in everything. I'm slowing down to have your touch on everything that we do. Everything, every relationship, every interaction, every endeavor, right? We need to slow down and take the time we need to stay sharp before God and worship the word of God in prayer. Number two, here's the next maxim, number two. Godly fellowship is gas for your soul. Continue to fill her up. Godly fellowship is gas for your soul, so continue to fill her up. How many people have ever tried to do this Christian walk on your own? Come on, plenty of people now. And how did that work for you? Not so well, right? I thank God that on this fast, you know how many people were stream texting. I don't usually stream text, but I've thanked God for it this past week. You know why? Because I stink at fasting. You know what I do? Sometimes I, I, I plan, like we saw at the beginning, what I'm going to eat at the end. How many people know that doesn't work? 
Okay, because all I'm doing is meditating on what I want to put in my mouth. I thank God that I knew other people were putting down that burger because at night I was tempted. Lord Jesus, I was tempted to just order Domino's. <laughs> I was, and then I got like some text from Assad talking about, how's it going, brother? And I'm like, dang. <laughs> dang it. God will forgive me, but maybe Assad wouldn't. I have to put it down, and I know we're in this together, right? I can't let my fellow soldiers on the field to fight the battle alone, so I'm going to put that burger down. I took my kids grocery shopping during the fast, and they started asking me, Daddy, what are all these things you're putting in the basket? We have no need of them. And I we will. (laughs) Don't go shopping while you're hungry. Amen. But godly fellowship is gas to your soul, right? And you don't need to fill up once. You need it over and over again. Why? Because what you had once will be used and then it'll run dry. And you need encouragement today. That's why the Bible says encourage one another as long as it's called today. The ever-present today, right? So that no one might be deceived by sin's deceitfulness. There are challenges each day. You need your brothers and sisters each day to continue in the purposes of God. Psalm 16, again, verse 2, he said this, King David, he said, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The saints in the land. I like coming to church. You know why? I get to see you. Maybe you don't get to see all each other, but like, listen, I get to see you because I'm standing up here, and I love it. And it's a delight, right? It encourages me. I hope it encourages you. And that's the point. Again, I can't say it enough of community groups. Do it throughout the week and live life together. Share life, fellowship. That's what the word in the Bible means, a shared life. Shared life. Not just something you're running in parallel lanes to accomplish, but a shared life together. Number three, third maxim. Cast your lot in the right place. And I'm going to explain this one. Cast your lot in the right place. In life, we are tempted to be spinning everywhere and every which way out of control sometimes. And life just, as we say, categorically gets away from us, right? Anybody ever feel like life just gets away from you a little bit? We need to take charge and take control and actually cast our lot in the right place. This is the truth of the matter. You are a limited resource, but God is inexhaustible. You are a limited resource. I am a limited resource, but God himself is inexhaustible. You only have so much, you have only so much energy, both emotional and physical, for things that will build God's kingdom his church, and have eternal reward. You only have so much energy that you can utilize each day. Isn't that the truth? I have to choose where I'm putting not only my physical energy, but my emotional energy. Every relationship that I have takes emotional energy. If I'm only casting it, you know, to people that I used to know back down in North Carolina, guess what I won't have energy for? emotional energy for you, right? 
but if I'm actually sowing and investing in those who actually live with me and relate with me on a daily basis, then I'll have abundance of energy to give, abundance of physical strength to give. Let me say, men of God, your energy needs to be sown into the setup team. Yeah, come on, Luis. Woo! All right. (laughs) Where we basically are saying, yes, I can spend it on something worthwhile that's going to tangibly build the kingdom of God. But if I sow it abroad, I don't have what I need to give in the right places. If I'm only sowing into Netflix, you know I mean, then I don't have emotional energy to sow into my children, right? Come on now. Isn't that the truth? Isn't it easy to sow even emotional energy into your favorite character on TV? Anybody ever have like an emotional attachment to somebody you've seen on TV and you're just like rooting for them? It's like, they're trying to see where the, you know, this relationship is going to work out. And they're like, you got a relationship right here. It's like, no, 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 no. We need to pray for them. (laughs) They're not even real, Right? You only have so much energy, you need to prioritize your time. You need to prioritize your efforts because you are a limited resource. Psalm continues to talk about this where he says, listen, even in your um, allotment of time and physical strength and energy, you don't want to run after the idols of just thinking about that some sort of wealth is going to make you happy if you just reach some sort of level of success, right? Anybody... Come on, admit it now. Anybody buy a Powerball ticket? (laughs) That's all right. That's fine. Listen, (laughs) the thing is, the thing is, right? Everybody wanted to get rich in an instant, right? (laughs) Bought that Powerball ticket. But you know what I like? I read an article, and Mark Cuban said this. Everybody know who Mark Cuban is? Shark Tank? Okay, Dallas Mavericks? Okay, good. Okay, so here's the point. Mark Cuban said this. He said, here's my advice to those who want money. You know what I mean? He said, money is just money. It's not happiness coming from a man who's got a lot of it, right? He said, money's just money. It's not happiness. If you weren't happy before you got rich, you won't be happy after. Because money's not happiness. Happiness is happiness. And what God's saying is like, listen, prioritize in the right place. This is what He's saying in Psalm 16, verses 4 through 5, he says, The sorrows of those who run after another God, another God, shall multiply. He said, you're running after something else you think will make you happy, but your sorrows will increase if you're running after a false God. He said, their drink offerings of blood, I will not pour out um, out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You, God, hold my lot. You, God, hold my lot and make me secure. You, God, give peace and satisfaction to my soul that I could want no more. Amen? That's what God says. Be at peace, children of God. Be at peace. I've got you. I'm a good father. And I'll give you all you need. Let's go on. Number four. Many hands make light work. So everyone find your place of service. Many hands make light work. So everyone find your place of service. We're going to deviate from um, Psalms just into Ephesians real quick. And Paul again talked to the church in Ephesus. And he said, rather, speaking the truth in love, 
we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it um, builds itself up in love. I memorized it in the NIV many years ago when he says this, the whole body of Christ grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Because we're a family, every one of you is important, right? Everybody understand that? You're important. God calls you important. We realize that your life is important before God and your life is important to the church. To everybody, find your place so that the body of Christ might grow and build itself up in love as each part does its work. As a practical to this, February 7th, we're going to have our next volunteer fair where you will be able to clearly see how you can get involved in the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay. Next one, number five, have holy restraint. Have a holy restraint. Holy restraint. Let your yes be yes and be <clears throat> your no, no to the right things. Learn to say no to the wrong things that you might actually say yes to the right things. That's just a good lesson in life, right? Some of us learn, need to learn to say no a lot more than we, need, we say yes because we end up just responding to everything that's presented to us. Psalm 16, verse 6, David said this, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. The boundary lines he's talking about, meaning that because you're a limited resource, he's setting boundaries. The lines, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. That means I'd go no further than this, right? Let me tell you something. If you're ever trying to get a hold of me on a Monday, you won't. You know why? Because the boundary lines have fallen for me on a Monday, <laughs> That's just how it is. You know, people are like, it's an emergency. It's like, well, listen, unless somebody's dying, you know what I mean? It's sort of like that issue that they had before will be with them Tuesday, you know? And so it's sort of like the boundary lines have got to be in pleasant places to protect my family, right? Okay, well, silence. <laughs> the point is you need to have boundaries in your life too, Right? If work is calling on you at midnight, I'm not talking about if you have a deadline, but you know how many, how many people have ever felt like the boundary lines of work just get pressed over and over, further and further, and they'll take and take and take from you until they can't take anymore. If you don't say no, how many people know that they won't for you? Yeah. Everybody understand that? Because when you're getting paid, they will take from you as much as they can, and then when you finish unless it's like a family business, that you're expendable, and then they're like, on to the next. We'll have another hire. You need to set boundary lines in pleasant places. Amen? And some of you need to realize, if you're in your academic life right now, that you pulling like all-nighter after all-nighter will not help you. You need to study over the course of time, not over just like one, like smorgasbord moment, you know, hoping that it all just gets dumped out on the page, you know what I mean? It's sort of like, eventually, there's a dissipation of studying and thought life, right? He said, boundary lines will help you, and they'll protect you, and then this is what he says in Psalm 16, verse 6, I have indeed a beautiful inheritance in him. When I live according to the boundaries God set for me, I have a beautiful inheritance, meaning God's got something stored up for me when I say no to the right things and yes to the right things. I'm sorry, no to the wrong things, yes to the right things. 
Okay? And then finally, number six. Number six is how we'll end. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Hebrews says, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Fixing our eyes on Jesus gives us a renewed vision of who he is and therefore who we're called to be. Amen? He is our model and our example. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, the writer of Hebrews encourages us this way after he was talking about the hall of faith. If you've never read Hebrews chapter 11, it's inspiring. It's inspiring about the lives that men and women of God lived through faith in the God of heaven and earth throughout the ages and did mighty acts in God because they trusted in him. But right after that section, they begin to summarize what we need to do because of their example. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. Everybody say perseverance. Right, what they needed to get to Emerald City was perseverance, not to fall asleep in the poppy field. He said, what we need is perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, meaning he went in front of us, and he's the perfecter. He comes behind us to continue to shape it and grow it and have it augment in strength. He says he's a perfecter of faith. He said, for the joy set before him, right? Continually pressing that reset button, saying, God in heaven, once again, you've got an inheritance that's far above what we could ask or imagine in you if we love you, right? He says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He says, once again, church, wake up. Wake up. And this is how David ended it in Psalm 16, fixing our eyes on Jesus. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. Verse 7, in the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. I've set him before me, right? Anybody have like your favorite like decoration in the house? Sort of like you like looking at it as soon as you come in. For me, it's like a map in our house that B gave me years ago. As I'm looking at it, thinking about the people of the world, map. You know, it's like set it there. Okay, so it says set Jesus, he said, before you. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. Anybody want to live like that? My heart being glad and my whole body rejoicing. He says, for God, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures. Not just at the beginning of the year, not just even when you're fasting and praying, but forevermore. 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 Because Jesus remains the same. Life will come at you and it will change, but Jesus is constant. And Jesus, the Son of God, 
gave his life perfectly for our sins on that cross and died and was resurrected from the dead three days later so we could have forgiveness of sins, but also eternal life in him, which starts with life to the fullest right now. Starts with life to the fullest right now. He said, you'll find it in me. Amen? So let's rise to our feet and worship team, if we could come up. What we're going to do is worship God and actually say, God, I'm going to fix my eyes on you and allow you to not only be the start, but also the continuance and the finishing of my faith in 2016. Amen. To learn more about the many activities at Second City Church, search online for secondcitychurch.org. That's 2ndcitychurch.org. For all the information you need, sign up for our email and stay up to date on all upcoming plans and events.